Hi, folks. Welcome to Fig Tree Ministries. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel by clicking that red subscribe button below and click that bell to make sure you get notified every time we upload a new video. Enjoy today's lesson. Okay, so this week, Sea of Galilee, this is our ninth session on the Sea of Galilee. This will be a continuation of part eight. So for those watching on video, if you didn't see part eight, go back to Sea of Galilee part eight. It'll be helpful for what we did last week, Sea of Galilee part nine, since it's a continuation. And this week, we're going to continue with the number 153. That's what we ended on last week. And last week, we connected that number to Ezekiel 47, which is the river of life. Ezekiel is having a vision of the new temple, the new Jerusalem, and out from underneath that temple is flowing a river of life, which John explains to us is the spirit that's being poured out. And that's the water is representative of the spirit being poured out to fill the entire earth. So what we're going to do today is we'll look at how, we t how they can take Hebrew letters that are also numbers and then get a new numerical value for a word, and therefore we're able to connect words, connect numbers and words. And it was a practice used in the first century for interpreting the Bible through numbers. So we'll, we'll talk more about that towards the end. If there's anything that you get out of today, because I know this is a confusing topic, it's not easy just to hear it once and say, I've got it. But if you get anything out of today, recognize that Hebrew alphabet is also numbers, and that with those numbers, the sages would play with words if they had the same numerical value. Now, we don't do anything like that, partly because that's not how we use our alphabet, and partly because we're reading the Bible in English, but we have to let them be them and use the techniques that they saw as fruitful for understanding Scripture. Okay, this picture right here, many of you have traveled to Israel and have been to this location. This is called Ein Gedi. So you can walk back into this canyon, or wadi, we, would, we call it a canyon, it would be a wadi over in the Middle East, and there's a spring that obviously provides fresh water, this is a, would be a critical place. This is where David and his men hid out in Ein Gedi, near Ein Gedi, because obviously you need fresh water in a dry and thirsty land. So the word Ein means spring. So it's the spring of Gedi, and Gedi is, means goat. So it's the goat spring. And we'll look at another Ein today, Ein Eglime. That's also in Ezekiel. But just recognize Ein means spring. Okay. So, oh, by the way, Ein Gedi sits right next to the Dead Sea. It's smack in the middle of the desert that this spring pops up, and then that stream will flow down towards the Dead Sea. So in, a, in an area where there's very little water, this becomes a critical place to survive, basically live. We need water. Okay, last week, this is a quick review. 
and we'll go in a little bit more detail because a lot of what we're going to do today is repeating what we did last week. Last week, we, we hit the subject of 153 fish. It comes in John 21 with the miraculous catch of fish after Jesus resurrected. He meets his disciples in Galilee, says, throw the, cat, throw the net on the other side. They do, and there's a miraculous catch of fish. And then John tells us the detail, 153. And we're all budding Bible students. The first thing we say is, why did he include that detail? What's the significance? We mentioned last week that 153 is a unique number. It's a part of a tri what's called triangular numbers. That's a se sequence of numbers. And we'll, we'll go over that a little bit again today, but triangular numbers came out. And then we're going to connect that. We're going to connect these triangular numbers back to Ezekiel 47. And we, we did that last week as well. We'll do it again today. So this 153 is not random. It has to do with triangular numbers, and it has to do with Ezekiel 47.10. And so John includes it because it's part of the overall message of what he's saying is going on here after the resurrection. Okay, so preview. We're going to talk a little bit today about John and Ezekiel. Just John relies heavily on Ezekiel, both in the Gospel of John and in the Revelation. Especially in Ezekiel, 40 to 47 is the new temple, it's the New Jerusalem, and it's the River of Life. So if you go to Revelation 22, you get the River of Life. And he's relying on Ezekiel there, that vision, uh, as John is describing it as well. We're going to talk about the Hebrew alphabet. We would say alphabet. Alpha is Greek, of course. Hebrew, it's Aleph-bet, because the first two letters of the, of the, the first two letters in Hebrew are Aleph and Bet. So it's the Aleph-bet. We say alphabet, but that's because Alpha is Greek. We'll talk en Gedi and en Eglime. Now, I just mentioned en means spring, so it's the spring of Gedi and the spring of Eglime. And what we want to do is say, how do we take that Hebrew alphabet and come up with numbers? And we'll use Gedi and Eglime because that's just to demonstrate how that adds up to the numbers that we uh, will mention. We're going to add one piece. There's also something in the Hebrew Bible, a phrase, that equals 153. And it's the phrase that translates sons of God. Beni ha'elohim. And so we'll talk, we'll talk about sons of God because there's a scholar named Richard Bachem from Cambridge. And he suggests that what John is doing is pointing to the sons of God as part of that 153 interpretation. And then we'll finish today with just what's the overall message of 153 fish besides just it's a large catch of fish. All right, so that's our preview. So last week, we were in John 21. That's uh, post-resurrection, disciples go fishing, they're fishing at night. Of course, the disciples never catch anything without the help of Jesus. And Jesus says, sees them early in the morning, says, did you catch anything? Nope, we didn't catch anything. Okay, throw the net over there. They throw it over there and they pull in a haul of fish. So John 21, 11 then reads something like this. So Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 
153. So right there, that's the, we asked the question, why include that detail? The moment you see that detail, you say, you have to stop and, and ask that, because John has, God gives the authors of Scripture editorial control to tell their message. And it's an inspired message, no doubt, but it's not dictated. So you get the personality of Luke coming out in Luke, and you get the personality of Matthew coming out in Matthew because they're contributing. It's a partnership. So I like to say it's inspired, not dictated. If it were dictated, then each letter would, have, would basically sound exactly the same as the Holy Spirit is speaking, but it's inspired. It's, they're inspired to give the message, but they do it in their own creative way. So when John includes a detail like that, you ask, why is John doing that? And of course, there's lots of answers. Should we be able to study deep enough? Okay, there were so many fish, 153 fish, but the net wasn't even torn. I mentioned last week that part of the miracle that was happening was wrong net, wrong fish, and too many fish for that net. So there's, we have to know a at least a little bit about first century fishing in order to understand some of the significance of each verse. Okay, so what's up with 153? Well, last week we mentioned that this is not just a random number. This is called a triangular number. And triangular numbers, um, date, they date far back, uh, even, even further back than Pythagoras, which is the 6th century BC. But it's a number sequence, and it's a number sequence that you can demonstrate mathematically, or you can show graphically with an equilateral triangle. If you build an equilateral triangle, then and you want each side to be equal, then how many units end up total inside that triangle? And that's where you get triangular number. And last week, uh, we mentioned that if you said, okay, what about the number four? What's the triangle of four? Well, you can do the math. 4 plus 3 is 7, plus 2 is 9, plus 1 is 10. So you would say, aha, 10 is the triangle of 4. Now, that's just if you put it abstractly in an equation, but if you put it more concretely in a picture, it looks something like this. So again, you'd say, all right, we got number 4, and the triangle of that is 10, meaning if I create a triangle with four e or three equal sides, then you get 10 units on the inside of that triangle. That's where we get the name triangular number. Then if you said, okay, what's the triangle? What if we took this equilateral triangle and made it equal on each side, but it had 17 on each side? Well, the number would be 153. So 153 is the triangle of 17. Again, I'm just throwing numbers at you, but we can see this, this 153 then is connected to 17. And when we get back to the Ezekiel text, that's exactly what we're going to find, that 153 and 17 are connected in that sentence. So that would stand out to an ancient person who would know something about triangle numbers or pay attention to them more than we do today. So if I go back and say, well, if, what if we showed this mathematically with 17? Then you have the number 17, right? And then you start adding up backwards. 17 plus 16 plus 15 plus 14 plus 13, down, 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 plus 1 equals 153. So that's how you can mathematically go through 
each number to find out what its triangle is, or you can draw an equilateral triangle and just do it yourself. Okay, that was triangular number. So when we go back to John, as we did last week, then that number now leaps out at you because you know something about triangle numbers and you say, aha, that's not random. There's something about that number, but also because we're, uh, the Jews would memorize as best they can their scripture. And so then you do math with your letters, which we'll talk about in a minute. And now you say, aha, I know where he's pointing to because there's something in Ezekiel that's going to reference 153. All right, this is still review of last week, so I'm going kind of fast. We then said, where's the reference? Well, it's Ezekiel 47, and this becomes a critical chapter to John. Ezekiel 47 says, okay, I see that there's God showing me a new Jerusalem. There's a new temple. We're going to celebrate holidays. He mentions Passover and the Festival of Tabernacles. That's what John mentions, too, in his gospel, Passover and Tabernacles. And it's at the Festival of Tabernacles that he, he's going to make a reference back to Ezekiel 47, that Jesus is. There's a river of life that's going to come out of the temple, and it's going to fill up the whole world with fresh water. That's what you want more than anything in the, in, in the land of Israel, because water is so hard to come by. Obviously, water is the metaphor for spirit. But if we look at verse 10, so this is Ezekiel 47, verse 10, the first thing we'll notice is it has to do with fishermen. There's fishermen standing along the shore. This is now as the water is flowing down into the Dead Sea. So now the Dead Sea, going from salty and dead, will become alive. That's what the Spirit does. It wakes you up and it alivens you. The fishermen will stand along the shore from Ein Gedi, that's the spring, picture of the spring in the background, to Ein Aglaim. There will be places for spreading of nets. That's what the disciples were doing last week. So it's like the story in John is coming to life, Ezekiel 47 is coming to life in that story about the disciples. The fish will be many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, so these two words, we talked about this last week, Gedi and Iglime. And oddly enough, if we do the math on the word Gedi, as we'll do in a minute, I'll demonstrate it for you, you get the number 17. Ah, then you say, well, what about a glime? Let's do that math. And you do that math and you get 153. And because you know your numbers, now you know those two words are not, they're connected, numerically connected, because 153 is the triangle of 17. Now that right there will throw us, you know, we don't even know what to do with something like that. Just throws us for a loop. But remember, ancient people, paid attention to numbers. They read their own text using numbers. We can't impose our rules of reading the Bible on them. That's what we, that's the key. You don't want to be the arrogance of, um, of each generation that looks down on the past as if they don't know what they're doing. Give them the credit that's due to them as they read their Bible and interpret their Bible. So if you don't think that that's, you say, well, that's just a mere coincidence, right? Well, the other thing I mentioned last week is the word Getty itself. 
If you go back and look at the Hebrew in Ezekiel chapter 47 and start counting Hebrew words, one, two, three, four, five, you get to Getty and it's the 153rd word in the chapter. So John, uh, Ezekiel is like doubling down as he's, again, Ezekiel has some editorial control over him putting together his document. And this is something that was done regularly in ancient texts is use counting and numbers. So you got a whole bunch of stuff that's coming together. All to say, you go back to that John and that 153 stands out like a sore thumb now, because now we know a lot of what's going on around it. All right, so that was, that's a very quick review from last week, week eight. Again, if you, you might have to go back and watch week eight again. Uh, the reason I wanted to get this in a, in a video is to document it for people who are trying to walk through this and understand what's going on. It's not easy to do. All right, so now let's go to this week. Let's go to what we're going to talk about this week. So, well, wait, before I say that, one thing we noted last week, final, final thought on John 21, one thing we noted is that the moment he puts 153 in there and it brings you back to that Ezekiel river of life, it's basically saying the, the river of life that's, that was here in Ezekiel, that Ezekiel's talking about, is now a present reality. Now that Jesus is resurrected, the present reality of the Spirit flowing from the temple, or if Jesus is, you know, he, he equates himself to the temple, the Spirit flowing shows up in this, this, the ending of John. And so it's the present reality of post-resurrection Jesus. That's how we can connect John to, back to Ezekiel. All right, so here's the thing is, John uses is he relies heavily on Ezekiel. Ezekiel is more mystical than some of the other uh, books in the Old Testament. John's more mystical. You can find significant connections between them, both in the Gospel of John and in the book of Revelation. So again, I mentioned, if you go to chapter 21 and 22, the book of Revelation, he's relying on Ezekiel to talk about, it's the vision of the New Jerusalem, the heavenly temple that's coming down, and then this river of life, same exact description as we find in Ezekiel. So it's New Jerusalem, the river of life. And then there's one more connection in the book of John that's going to connect to Ezekiel chapter 47. So he, John has at least two, probably more, at least two connections to Ezekiel 47. This one I want you to turn to, because we're going to look at this, and that is John chapter 7, and it's verses 37 and 38. So if you have your Bible available, you can turn to John 7. We're just going to look at two verses, but these are critical verses in, that are going to connect us back to Ezekiel. Now, we have, over the past few years, we have looked at these two verses multiple times because the setting of this verse is the Festival of Tabernacles. 
and the festival of tabernacles in the first century was all about living water. The whole, the whole ceremony being built was built around living water. It's the fall festival, the very last one in the seventh month. So that would some, be sometimes September to October is usually when it falls. It's a seven-day celebration, and you're praying for God to give living water. And that's, of course, where Jesus steps in to declare himself the living water. And this one is going to point back to Ezekiel 47, but it does so in a fairly strange way. So I'll put it up on the screen, starting at verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival. So as we've talked about the Festival of Tabernacles, it's an eight-day festival. The celebrations, it's like Super Bowl Sunday, getting bigger and bigger and bigger until it reaches the peak on that final day. And this is where Jesus is at the temple. And the whole ceremony is water. And so he gets there. It's the Festival of Tabernacles. And he stands up and says in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Now, this is how the NIV is translating it. But notice, he's going to, at a ceremony that's all about water and a holiday that's all about water, he's going to stand up and talk water. So he's, he's dialed in to his culture, what's happening culturally. So, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said. Now, that's one of the key things. Rivers of living water will flow from within them. The question everybody has is, well, what scripture says that? Ah, now we're in a really difficult place because there is no scripture that actually says what they say. Um, one thing I want you to notice, these two verses, it's not an easy translation into English. Where do you divide the sentence? Where do you divide the quotation of Jesus? Because if you notice right here, this is the NIV, and your Bible may have a footnote, but there's a footnote to, this, to these two verses, or at least the footnotes on verse 38. Because they're debating, where do we divide the sentence? Which, where do we put the emphasis? It's not clear. So if we look at the footnote, it says, let anyone drink who believes in me. Now, that's a little bit different because up above, they say, come to me and drink, period, and then whoever believes in me. But this says, let anyone who drink who believes in me. Then John's going to start another sentence. As Scripture said, so you're putting the emphasis now on the next quote that's going to come out. Out of him will flow rivers of living water. Now, if we're looking at that way to interpret this verse, out of who? Or it also could be out of it. So is out of it will flow rivers of living water? Is that perhaps talking about the temple? Is it out of him? We tend to read it as it's out of the believer. The one who believes in scripture will, rivers of living water will flow. But it might be out of Jesus, rivers of living water will flow. There's confusion, but I just wanted to, to point out, however you read this, scholars take this and scripture said as pointing back to the living water coming out of the temple in Ezekiel. 
It could be that John meant out of him, Jesus, and therefore when he resurrects, he's the one that has the rivers of living water flowing out. We don't have a whole lot of time to go into all of this. I just wanted to show you that another connection point to Ezekiel 47 is right here. So if you're looking for a second connection point. Okay. Now, totally switching gears. I'm going to go to the Hebrew Aleph Bet. This is how we can say, where do you get a numerical value for a word? So I sent you two sheets. And for those watching on the video, the two sheets are there. The, this sheet will be available, figtreeteaching.com. Under Sea of Galilee Part 9, you'll find the document on the website and you can download it. But this document is going to show you the Hebrew alphabet and then the numbers associated with it. And I'll blow this up in a minute to give you a, a better shot on the screen. We call ours the alphabet. Hebrew Aleph Bet, based on the first two letters. First letter being Aleph, second letter being Bet. What you see if you have this document out, or if you download the document, is you get the, the Hebrew name for the letter, so Aleph. Then you have the, the Hebrew letter Aleph, the number associated with it, which is number one. And then in Hebrew, particularly the very ancient Hebrew, was more pictographic. So each letter would also be a symbol or have a literal meaning to it. So for instance, Aleph is an ox or a bull, and the symbolic meaning is strength. So you've, there's multiple connections. So let me blow this up. English is so abstracted. We don't think anything the way that these Eastern languages do. Not, not, we don't think pictorially. We don't think symbolically. We have completely abstracted alphabet. So across the top, you'll notice at the top of this alphabet, you have Aleph, or the Aleph Bet. You have the Hebrew letter for Aleph, and the number one. It represents number one. If you go down to the next one, you have a Bet, or sometimes pronounced with a Vet, like Avenu, which would be our father, as a... Av, but pronounced with, with a, more of a V sound. So there's the letter B, and that represents the number two. It also means a house or a household. So then you can take these numbers and basically go, go straight through the alphabet. When you get to 10, and I'll show you when I go a little bit lower on the sheet, you'll see it goes from 10 to 20. So you, go, you just keep going, Gimel, Dalit, Hey, Vav, Zion, Het, Tet, and you you keep assigning numbers to it. If we go further down, now you get into, it starts skipping 10s, 20s, all the way up to, so there's 20, 40, here's 100, all the way up to the final Tav, the final letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which signifies 400. You know, none of us can do this in our brain, although if we spoke Hebrew and studied the Bible, we could. And we could easily look at a word and know what the numerical value is. So there's a technique in the first century, and even today, the rabbis will use it. It's called gematria. And gematria 
It's a technique for biblical interpretation in the first century used by the sages and the rabbis, and they would see a numerical value of a word, then they would look at another word that has the same numerical value, and then they might connect those verses or connect the words to make a teaching far beyond the way that we do our own biblical exegesis, but again, it would be inappropriate to be judgmental towards them, thinking that somehow they're getting it all wrong. It's just a different way of, of assessing the text, but it's called gematria if you wanted to learn more about the interpretation process. All right, so let me show you the example, because what we want to do is say, how do we get 17 and 153 in, the, in Ezekiel? Well, the first step is know the alphabet and the numerical values, and then we can go over to, back to this sentence, we have Gedi and Aglime. We noted that Gedi equals 17, Aglime equals 153. How do we get there? How do we get to that point, right? Well, let me just show you, because that'll just help, help you understand the example. So if we take the word Gedi, it's only three letters in Hebrew. So we have Gimel, that's like a G, Dalit, that's a D, and a Yod. I put the I because it's Gedi, but the, it's a Yod. So we have Gimel, Dalit, and a Yod. And we would say Gimel is three, a Dalit is four, because it's the fourth letter in the, in the alphabet, and Yod is ten. Now, simple math here for those who can do math. 3 plus 4 is 7, add 10, and what do we get as our numerical value for Getty? 17. So this is just the technique for, for adding up the numerical values. Now if we take Eglion, you have an Ein. Now Ein is like another A sound, but a different letter. Ein, Gimel, G, Lamed, L, Yod, I put a Y there, and a MAME. Now I'm going to start getting much bigger numbers, right? So you have 70 is EIN, 3 is GIMEL, we've seen that one, LAMED is 30, YOD again, 10, and then a MAME, which is the representative of water, is 40. Now, just real quick, a couple weeks ago we talked water, MAIM. Maim is the word for water. It's got two, two mames, and the symbol for water is the, the letter M, a mame. So you can see they, a lot of the words are very symbolic themselves. If you look at the symbol, and Maim would then say, ah, there's something to do with water. Okay, now, again, if I look at all those numbers and say, well, I need to do some math here, I'm going to simplify it as best I can. I know 70 and 30. Well, that equals 100. That's easy for me to do. 40 and 10, that equals 50. So that gives me 150, and what I'm left over with is this one right here. So what's our numerical value for a glime? 153. So that's how you come up with this. You go back to this verse, and you'd say, aha, now I can see that in Hebrew, if I knew Hebrew and I knew I could do some simple math, now I can see that there's numerical values to this. Now here's what, um, it's important to note. We know where Engedi is. That picture in the background is Engedi. We know where that is. Everybody travels there. It's a very popular spot for tourists. 
but where's Eglime? Nobody knows. Which is a little bit strange, because in a land that you rely on springs for, for life, we have a spring mentioned that nobody knows where it's at. So if you ever see Eglime on a map, there will be a question mark next to it. Because we don't know. In fact, we're standing in right here next to this waterfall. The professor is reading from Ezekiel. He's reading this verse. He says from Engedi, because he wants to show the class that we're standing in Engedi. He goes from Engedi to, well, that other place. That's how he said it to the class. He didn't say a glime, and he reads the verse. So I went up to him afterwards and I said, uh, now this is a professor who's written his, he's written atlases before. So he's published atlases. I said, where's a glime? Because I obviously knew there was controversy over it. And he just said, yeah, we don't know. There is no place that we know of called a glime. Now, then that leads you to the question, is Ezekiel then use, making up a word simply because its value is 153 that would stand out even more prominently because you would say, wait, where's a glime? I don't know where this spring is. What's Ezekiel talking about? Scholars say, well, perhaps Ezekiel is using the word simply because of the 153, because we have a problem not being able to find a glime. So it's just a thought. We don't really know because we don't know where a glime is, and Ezekiel is an ancient document. So just a thought about what Ezekiel is up to. Okay, now that we can do a little bit of the gematria, now that we can take a Hebrew word and add it up and get a number, then scholars also will say, aha, there's another Hebrew phrase that adds up to 153. So the phrase, sons of God, in Hebrew, also adds up to 153. And this is number eight on your handout. Bene ha Elohim is the phrase. You can find it in Job 1.6. So it says the sons of God, although the NIV, I think, translates it angels, were in heaven with God. But it's Bene ha Elohim, the sons of God. It's one place to find it. Here's what it looks like in Hebrew. And of course, if you go through the same thing that we just did with Aglime, you get. Just so you know, as I'm looking at my screen here, I incorrectly typed. Nobody will notice. You guys, you guys won't even pay attention because you don't, you won't be able to read. I wrote Nebi instead of Benny. So just so you know, I, I, for those watching on the video later, I just realized that my typing error, the vet and the noon should be switched. So my apologies for that. Okay. Now, how would this connect? How would sons of God connect? Well, John begins his, his uh, gospel, his pro, what, what's distinctly a prologue to the gospel. It sets the tone for what's about to show up as he starts telling the story. But in the prologue, we have a reference to something about sons of God or children of God. And this is in the beginning of John. It reads, it's like, goes like this. He's talking of Jesus. So he's, John is putting a prologue together to tell you what's about to show up. Verse 11 says, he came to that which was his own, that's Israel, but they did not receive him. Then verse 12 says, yet to all who did receive him, 
To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Ah. And this is where I'll show you the, the paper and the, and the name in a minute, but Richard Bauckham, he says, it, it appears that what John is up to is he starts the prologue of what's about to happen, saying that if you believe these signs that I'm about to show you, you will have the right to become the children of God. He gets to the end of, his, uh, of John in John 21, which is like a postscript, and he says he has something about 153, which equals the sons of God or children of God, as Richard Bachman puts in his paper, that he's bracketing, if you believe in Jesus, if you see these signs and believe, then you will have the right to, to be called the children of God. But he does it by ending it with a 153 reference, which the community would then have to debate, as we're doing right now, and, and weed out this esoteric text. So, this is one other place that you can then connect with John and the number 153. The scholar that I've mentioned a couple times, here's his name, Richard Bauckham. Uh, he's in the United Kingdom. He taught at St. Andrews up in Scotland for a while, and he teaches at Cambridge now. And so his one article that he's written, 153 Fish and the Unity of the Fourth Gospel. And what he does, I mean, he, he takes this far deeper than we can imagine with numbers, saying that this is a unifying event. He goes from the prologue to the postscript, and the 153 is speaking, aha, not only is that river of life flowing, as Ezekiel said, but you also become the children of God as the disciples go out and call people to them. So it's like a double message stuck, nested inside of this number 153. And he, again, he goes into far more detail than we have time to do uh, in this article. So if anyone has a access to a theological library or a theological database, you'll find that article from Richard Bockham. All right, so what's the whole point now that we've walked through this whole thing? What's the meaning? Because we see that number, now we have to derive meaning from it. We see it in John. What's the meaning? Well, the first place we go is the river of life. Once we know he's pointing us back to Ezekiel 47.10, and you say, aha, 47, Ezekiel 47, that river of life is now a present reality. John does the same thing in Revelation. He looks up into heaven, and he sees the river of life flowing out from the temple. And he's telling you, it's happening, folks, and it's accessible to you. Everybody has access to this living water. It isn't just for the Jews, it's for the Greeks, it's for the barbarians, it's for male and female, slave and free, it doesn't matter. So the present reality is that that living water is flowing out of the temple, and, you know, in John, he mentions, Jesus mentions, destroy this temple in three days and I will rebuild it, but he's talking about his body. So lots of dynamic connections, that's one of them, is Ezekiel 47 and then you could say, well, the sons or children of God, the Bene Ha Elohim, which also equals 153. So John's saying, look, you see these signs I have set out before you. John has a number of signs leading up. And if you see those signs and you believe that he is the son of God, then you have the right to be called the children of God. 
And this net of fish represents those children of God that are going to be caught up when the disciples go out. So it's some very dynamic and vivid imagery to express this idea of the children of God. So it's those two things. Those are the main connections. The river of life is flowing, and you too, everybody, can be caught up with being called the children of God. Okay, so what did we just talk about besides a whole lot of abstract stuff? John relies heavily on Ezekiel. We know that for both the gospel and revelation. So we have to look back to Ezekiel to see what that message is in Ezekiel. Second, we have to know something about the Hebrew alphabet and numbers, because if we do that, now, now we, have, we can get closer to coming up with 153. And where do we get 153 and 17 and Gedi and, and Aglaim, or Gedi and Aglaim? And then we could say, aha, there's also a connection of 153 and the sons of God. And then the message, when we see that in John, is that the present reality, or Ezekiel is now a present reality in, in Jesus' resurrection. And oh, by the way, that 153 represents the children of God. Should you believe the Bene Ha Elohim? Aha, you too can become a son of God through the belief in his Messiah, Jesus. So, you know, this is obviously difficult to do. I'm going very fast. I'm throwing a lot at you. Part of the reason why I want to get it recorded is so that people will have a chance to go back and review it because it is difficult. It's very dynamic. And I just want, you know, I don't think that we appreciate the depth of John, the complexity of that gospel of John, how dynamic the gospel of John is. We know that it's very spiritual, but it is far more dynamic than we often give it credit for. What's very cool is, and Richard Bauckham mentions this, you don't need to understand the 153 to get the message that Jesus is the Messiah out of John. But if you can go that deep, you realize the um, profound nature of John's message and how impactful that is on the world. So the structure of John is so deep. It doesn't matter how long you've been a scholar of the Bible. You will find something in John you didn't know before. And it just tells us that we have limitations and God doesn't. And so when he puts together this with John putting together this gospel, it's incredibly deep. And the more things you discover, the more profound they are. So God willing, I was able to at least show you one other aspect of John conveying a message about Jesus in his own way, his own first century way. One thing to remember, Richard Bauckham in that article mentions this, in the first century, Studying scripture was done in community. It was done, you read it aloud in a group, and you have both Jews and Gentiles. So everybody's contributing, and then everybody's searching to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And we don't necessarily do that. We read our Bible. We have, how many Bibles do we have ourselves at home? We read it alone. We, uh, we don't talk about how, challenge each other to go deeper and deeper and deeper into it always. Um, we, we're often relying on what we know ourselves and what we can pick up in commentaries. So completely different than they would have done it. They do it in community where everybody's discussing and the people are 
challenging each other to go deeper and deeper and deeper to find more significance. So I want to learn to appreciate their way of reading the Bible rather than demanding that we that our way is the only way to do it. Just a thought about that. So, all right, Sea of Galilee part nine. Next week, I want to show you, we're just going to do something with numbers. We'll take a little break from the Sea of Galilee. Numbers and letters, because I, I mentioned last week a number from the book of Acts. So I'll show you another, since we're on triangle numbers and your brain is already set there, we'll look at another triangle number from the book of Acts, and then I'll show you a couple Hebrew words. If we, we look at that chart that I gave you on the Hebrew words, we'll use or letters, we'll use that next week to show you some very interesting things about when a Hebrew word gets put together. So that's what we'll do next week. All right, let me stop the share here. Thanks for joining us under the fig tree for today's lesson. If you like this video, be sure to hit the like button below and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that bell to be notified every time I upload a new lesson. You can also check out more teachings here at our YouTube channel or at figtreeteaching.com and enjoy learning about the sweetness of God's words.